My name is Andrew Gross. Uh, for those of you who are visiting here or new here, I'm an elder at the church, and I uh, work with the youth. It's been an incredible privilege to be doing that for the last year. Uh, this morning, I, I want to start off with a, with a little story. Anybody recognize what's on the picture there? That's a, the Grand Canyon. And about five years ago, I had the privilege of getting to go to the Grand Canyon for uh, the first time. And I had never been there. I'd seen lots of pictures of it. And, and you know, so I, I, I knew it was supposed to be something really special. And I was driving along, a long drive from the hotel to the Grand Canyon. I was driving along, and there was this big canyon right next to me. And I thought, wow, that's a Grand Canyon. That's pretty, that is pretty amazing. Wow, I, I, that's neat. You know, but where's the part we, we get a park and look over the edge and kept going? And, and the signs started saying I wasn't at the actual Grand Canyon yet. And I was like, well, if that's not the Grand Canyon, what? You know that's that's just that's just wild, um, but uh, so so we finally got to the actual Grand Canyon. I parked, got out of the car, walked to the edge, couldn't see the see inside from where the car was, and I um, looked down uh, into the Grand Canyon, and my jaw literally actually dropped. It, it, and I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience, but I I was astounded. It was. Uh, a thousand times better than the, the little canyon I'd been driving along for a couple hours, and I was just utterly amazed. How many people have seen the, the Grand Canyon? And so if, if you have, maybe you've had the experience of just jaw-dropping, stunned wonder and awe at something so amazing. But, but you, know, you know what a lot of us are like when, when, when we see that? A lot of us are, uh, you know, a lot of us... A lot of us are pretty focused on the person in the mirror. Andrew, hmm. missed a spot shaving this morning. Oh, oh, how embarrassing! I didn't clip my nose hairs. Oh, oh, oh. Well, at least I got my, ear, my the hair in my ear. That's that's good. Oh, huh. Well, oh, oh no, not another pimp. Oh, oh. You know, here we are gazing at ourselves, absorbed in ourselves, this little mirror when something like this is happening. And, you know, that's what a lot of times we can be like with, with God himself. God presents himself in all his glory, all his majesty, but here we are focused on this, and we miss out on the jaw-dropping, stunned awe uh, something that just sweeps us out of ourselves, takes us completely uh, out of ourselves. We actually forget ourselves for a little while. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, how it relates to uh, my message. Uh, my message, if you want to move on to the next uh, PowerPoint, I know I could just sit here and stare at these pictures all, all day, probably more interesting than I can say. But uh, if you go to the, the thing, the, the title of my message is Where have you fixed your gaze? Where have you fixed your gaze? Are you fixing your gaze on the person in the mirror? Or are you fixing your gaze on something uh, amazing, something stunning that pulls you right out of yourself like the Grand Canyon? Um, and did you know your whole orientation, your whole attitude about life, and in fact, all of your behavior can be completely changed by where you have fixed your gaze? 
It's true. Something as simple as where you choose to focus, that can change everything. I've had a, quite a year of, of struggle, uh, and for all kinds of various reasons, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to in a little bit, but I've been struggling, and I, I s- struggle relatively successfully when my gaze is fixed on something big and grand, and, and namely when it's fixed on God. Then I, I tend to forget myself. I tend to be to sort of lose sight of, of my, my problems, my, my petty grievances. But I struggle relatively unsuccessfully when my, my focus is right here. I, I see all the, the, uh, the blemishes, I see all the problems, I see all the difficulties, and my universe shrinks to an unimaginably small little size. And I am... Uh, and, and my problems look so big to me during that time. Well, uh, why, why am I starting off this way and with this question, where have you fixed your gaze in this last year? This last year, if you're new to the church, if, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, every year we, we receive a theme. Uh, God gives our senior pastor a theme, a single word that is meant to give us uh, some energy, some focus, some vision for the future. It's meant to encourage us, direct us. And this year, we received uh, the word, uh, the year of outpouring. Year of outpouring. It's a year to pour out. Now, that has meant lots of different things. There's as many different applications of that as there are people and situations in this room. Uh, But at its core, the year of outpouring means a year to denounce our miserliness, overcome our stinginess, and pour out the riches God has given us, the riches he's given us, to other people. Um, It's a year to give up our hoarding our energy, our time, our resources, everything we have, and learning how to be generous on every occasion, as as the scripture says, with everything we've got. And, And more than that, it's been a call to endure in that generous outpouring. So it, it's, it's been a, at the core, that's what this year of outpouring means. Um, and uh, um, so it's been this call to pour out. 2008 has been a year of outpouring. And next week, Pastor Jim is going to share with us a, a, a new word uh, to give us some direction and some uh, vision and some uh, sort of some focus for for 2009. So you're not going to want to miss that. I, I always, I try to guess it every year what it's going to be. I always fail at guessing it. I all, like, without fail, I fail. And this year, though, I think I've got it beat. This year, I think I figured it out. So we'll see if I'm right next week. I, I don't know what it is, but it'll be exciting to find out what it is next week. Um, nevertheless, there has been an obstacle. Many in this congregation have been bumping up against uh, a, a big obstacle to the year of outpouring. Now, I'm saying this partly from my own experience, what I've been struggling with, but also as I had the privilege of counseling many of us in this room, praying with many people, as I've had the privilege of uh, you know, praying for many of you, as I've had the privilege of, of seeking the Lord, saying, God, what do you want me to pray for in regards to Bethel Christian Fellowship? Um, and, and so this, this one obstacle keeps rearing its ugly head over and over again as I have, um, as the year has gone on, both in my life personally and in the lives of 
of other people. So, um, and that obstacle I want to talk a little bit about, and, and I think it's important we do this before we move on to 2009 and, and find out what the next year is, what the theme for the next year is. It's, it's important that we spend some time asking ourselves the question, has this obstacle hindered us from pouring out? And that obstacle, I would say, is bitterness. Now, bitterness, it's a very interesting thing. We often don't think of bitterness as a sin, but bitterness is, is one of the worst sins. It, it, it's an unwillingness to be satisfied with what the Lord is doing. It's an unwillingness to be satisfied with, the Lord, with what the Lord has already been doing. And then there's a, a consequent unbelief that comes out of that, that the Lord will do something satisfying and good in your life. That's basically what, what bitterness is. It's sort of like many of, of us are familiar with the story of Naomi and, and Ruth. Well, Naomi's name, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but Naomi's name means pleasant. But at one point in the story, after um, her husband's died and, and horrible things have happened to her, she's lost everything, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter with me. And that's, that's really what bitterness is. It's this, it's this perspective on life that interprets what happens to you as the Lord being harsh to you. The Lord, his basic dealing with you is a harsh sort of dealing. Now, I'm not talking about a season of disappointment. Seasons of disappointment are very normal. That's very much part of the walk with God. All, every one of us, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you've gone through disappointment, disappointment with God. It might be a, a season where you lose something really important and precious it, or someone really important and precious. Something dear is taken away. It hurts. It hurts really badly. There's a very normal, natural season of grieving. It might last a long time. It might last a short time. But it's okay. That's normal. Um, your faith will recover by God's grace from a season of being disappointed with the Lord. Now, what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about bitterness, I'm talking about a settled position in which we decide deep down that the Lord has really messed up our happiness. He's really messed up our happiness. Like Naomi, we interpret life as that we, God has really dealt harshly with me. Somehow the Lord has failed to bring us his promised joy and happiness. Uh, and, and I say settled because it's a, it's a place we often get stuck in. We, we often will park there in that place. And it's often, sometimes it comes in the form of a vow. We vow never again. That was too hard. That was too rough. God, you, you've taken me through hard stuff before, but that one, uh-uh, too hard. Not doing it again, God. Um, try somebody else. Sorry. Um, it's that never again sort of vow. I'm never going to go through something that awful again. And most of us maybe aren't even aware that those thoughts are going through our brains. They're sort of on the level of sub-thoughts. You know, those, those feelings and beliefs, they're just below the surface of awareness. But nevertheless, they very powerfully guide us. 
And, and bitterness is that deep-down dissatisfaction over some grievance, real or perceived, in which we are convinced that we have been denied something that is essential to our happiness. That's, that's what keeps the bitterness alive. That's the difference between going through a season of dissatisfaction and um, a, a, a settled bitterness, because in settled bitterness, you, you, you're convinced that, God, you took away something to make me happy, and therefore I can't be happy. I just can't. And, and that's not to minimize our pain and suffering. I know there's many people in this room who've suffered far, far worse than I have ever suffered or probably ever will suffer. Um, but I'm not minimizing that. I'm, I'm talking about the times we get stuck in that bitterness. And, and so because of that, we pursue, the, we pursue the satisfaction of that grievance even when it's irrational to do so, even when there's no satisfaction in sight, even when the Lord's already spoken to us and said, Andrew, I'm going to take care of that. Don't worry about that. I'm going to take that injustice, that grievance, and in my, my divine economy and the way I do things, I'm going to take care of that. But we don't like God's answer. And so we settle into this position of bitterness in which we choose dissatisfaction over satisfaction. Because we just don't believe God's plan for us, with all its losses, with all its apparent setbacks, we just don't believe it's what's best for us. Now, because bitterness, because most of us are so blind to bitterness, um, just a, a couple thoughts to help us, um, maybe help expose if, if to know whether or not bitterness is settling in. Um, you know that bitterness is seeping in, uh, oh, and by the way, I said this. Make sure I say this. Say this again in this service. Um, I'm getting this from my own life. <laughs> these signs. So please don't imagine I'm like looking at some of you and saying, "Well, he's bitter. She's bitter. Whoa, she's got it bad." You know, I um, I'm looking at my own struggle with bitterness, and especially this this last year. So I don't want to project that onto you, but just some things to be aware of. Um, you know, bitterness might be seeping in when there's a general gloominess that hangs over your future. You think about what lies ahead of you, and it's sort of this, instead of like, wow, the possibilities God has in store, it's sort of a, oh boy, more of that coming down the road. Um, Also, when there's a general gloominess, gloominess that hangs over your present, the things happening right now in your life, there's just this general interpretation that, Wow, this is this is this is it's not just this is rough. This really it's it's bad. It's really bad. And not to minimize when things bad things are happening, but it's that interpretation of everything in that sense. Um, also, you know what's seeping in when gloominess comes out as irritability and shortness with others. Now, there's hundreds, thousands of reasons to be irritable with people. So just because you're irritable doesn't mean you've, take, you've absorbed bitterness, all right? And once again, I'm talking from my own life here. But the reason I put this up here is that um, when we are bitter, we tend to interpret other people's actions in a, in a fairly negative light, and we interpret their intentions in a negative way, and, and, and that makes us pretty cranky with other, with other people. And so whereas... In, in one, we, we might think, uh, in, in, in another time of our life, we might interpret someone's actions in a totally benign way. 
if bitterness has seeped in, then we start getting, we get more, we're more likely to be irritable with people. Um, it also, we know it's seeping in when we have more negative than positive thoughts. Now, like the previous one, there's lots of reasons to have negative thoughts, but when, when I say this, what I mean is when, when we've let bitterness seep in, we interpret life fairly negatively versus positively. Um, for you know, example, you're, you're, you're driving along, and, uh, um, and the, the red light gets you right before, you know, and you're late, and uh, you, don't, you can't afford to wait for another red light. And, um, you know, a more positive interpretation of that might be, well, maybe the Lord has something different planned for me today. Well, praise the Lord. You know, but, but the negative thoughts are, who dare, the, who let the devil in control of the light system? You know, I mean, most of us already, already think the devil's in control of the, the, um, the lighting grid there. But, you know, it's, it's jumping right to that negative interpretation right away. Um, we also know bitterness is seeping in when we get eaten up on the inside by a, a grievance, whether the grievance is real or it's perceived. And I mean, you know, it's gnawing away at us. It's, it's there with us when we're trying to sleep. It's there with us when we are asleep. It's there with us when we wake up in the morning. It's there when we try our hardest to distract ourselves with other thoughts. That grievance is there, and it's just gnawing. It's just eating away at us. But probably the most obvious sign is that you know bitterness has crept in is when your soul is fed more by thoughts of satisfying your grievance than it is fed by God's sweet grace. You see, God made us to be fed by his sweet grace. That's what feeds our soul. And yet... Even if we've tasted the sweetness of that grace, many of us, if, if, if we'll tend to, we will choose to try to feed our soul with the pursuit of getting that grievance dealt with, getting that grievance satisfied. And, and if that's feeding your soul more than God's sweet grace, when you're like, oh, what do I need today to get myself through the day? And you think, and instead of thinking, I need more of God's grace... Uh, to sweeten my soul. Instead, you think, I need to get that, oh, and I need to tell that person, and I need to, and, uh, then you know you've, you've let bitterness start to seep in. So let's look at what Scripture has to say about this bitterness. If everyone could turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it's in the New Testament, uh, close to the end of the New Testament. It's after all of Paul's letters before the book of Revelation ways. And we're going to look at this one particular verse about bitterness. I want, want us to notice a few things. Uh, Hebrews 12, and if, if uh, you could look especially at verse 15 right now. Hebrews 12, verse 15. The author writes, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A few things I want us to notice about this. Number one, bitterness is described 
it's described as a root. Now, that wasn't an accident that it's described as a root. Um, a root is the secret hidden life of a plant. And if you do any gardening, especially here in Minnesota, you know that you can get rid of all the fruit, all the leaves, all the, all the stem, the stock, and even the, the trunk of a tree itself, and that root keeps that plant alive, even through the worst of winters, um, and that root is still there. And uh, many, many gardeners have been surprised and annoyed when they thought they got rid of it, and, but there was still some root, and up springs the plants, the very plant they didn't, they didn't want. My, my mother had one of those, uh, a couple of those big elm trees cut down in her yard, and sure enough, within a few months' time, thousands of those suckers were up everywhere. So the tree was by no means dead, just because the big trunk was gone. Um, and, you know, it's important to note this because so often when we're fighting against sin, when we're struggling to progress and get closer to God, we're, we're, we're cutting off all the fruit, we're cutting off all the leaves, but we're not doing anything about that root that goes deep down. And, and that's, that's the nature of, of bitterness. And a second thing I want you to notice is that, and this is maybe the scariest thing of all, this bitterness can make us miss the grace of God. And in the, in the, in the Greek, the, this, these two phrases, the grace of God missing the grace of God and letting a root of bitterness. So those are almost, they're basically saying the same thing. Um, they're, they're, those two are very connected, those two ideas. And how awful would that be to miss the grace of God? And in fact, if, if you look just a few verses down after this, it talks about somebody who did just that. He missed the grace of God because of something else he thought was better. Uh, don't have time to go through the story, but the story of Esau. He was the, the brother of Jacob. Uh, he was a big, burly guy, um, and he was his father's favorite. He was the oldest son, so he was destined to inherit the blessing of the oldest son. And he chose to give up that blessing that would have blessed him and empowered him and strengthened him and been with him his whole life. He chose to gave it, give it all up for a single meal. And that's exactly what how bitterness causes us to miss the grace of God, is that we, we are so locked in on getting that one grievance satisfied, at getting justice for that one injustice. No matter, it might be a big one, it might be a petty one, but we're so locked in on that that we're willing to give that up. Or excuse me, we're, we're willing to get that and give up the grace of God. God's free gift of life with him forever. We're willing to give that up. And the daily grace he gives us, all for that one, that one grievance. That's how it makes us lose the grace of God. Third thing I'd like us to notice is that it causes trouble and it defiles many. Now, I, I don't know about you, I tend to think of bitterness as one of those sort of hidden things that I can contain, I can manage, nobody needs to know about that. But Scripture is pretty clear, it leaks out. Uh, it leaks out in spite of all of our efforts to contain it. And again, this is where that image of the root 
is no accident. Roots, even when you cut off all the external surface stuff, roots can actually keep growing and spreading. And I don't know how many gardeners have been shocked. You know, they thought the weed was contained on one corner of the garden, and then the next season it's all the way over here. Those roots are going underneath, spreading in spite of all your efforts, in spite of what it looks like on the surface. And, and that's exactly what bitterness can do. So how does it defile many? Well, one thing, one way is it defiles many through an undercurrent of grumbling. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about legitimately blowing off steam with a trusted confidant. You, you need to get it off your chest. You need to talk to somebody. You, you know it's not going any further than the person you talk to. I'm talking about the regular practice of grumbling. The kind of grumbling in which you're talking to people who have nothing to do with the original problem and have nothing to do with a constructive solution, but you're going at it anyway, telling them um, your, your problems, your injustices, your grievances. <clears throat> Another way it defiles many is that when it is your main goal in communicating about your grievance to obtain the pity of other people. When obtaining their pity is your main goal, you won't stop at anything to get a hold of that pity. It won't matter to you if the truth itself is a casualty. It won't matter to you if the other person's reputation is trashed in the process. As long as you can get a hold of that reward of, of pity, you'll do whatever it takes. When that's your goal, then you know you're, you're, you're spreading the bitterness. It also comes through nonverbals, like eye rolls, scowls, uh, when you know, so-and-so's name is mentioned. They go, oh, you hear somebody's name. Um, it gets spread when you nurse a secret hope that even if you can't rectify the situation, bring justice to the situation through correct means, through right means, in other words, going to the person, talk, you know, uh, working it through with that, the person who's concerned. Instead of doing that, when you think that you might be able to obtain justice and satisfy your grievance if you do it through indirect means, getting other allies onto your side, pulling that other person away from his or her allies, um, indirect means, that you know that you're spreading bitterness when that happens. And you know what? In spite of all of our vain beliefs that we're containing the bitterness to ourselves, bitterness is like a thousand octopus tentacles just reaching up underneath people, wrapping themselves around people's legs and just drawing them down with you. It has that, that power to do that. Power not only to... Uh, and, and then you're responsible not only for you missing out on the grace of God, you're responsible for others missing out on the grace of God choosing to cherish some petty thing above God's grace, like happened, what happened to Esau. And furthermore, back to this theme for the year, if you miss out on the grace of God through bitterness, you'll never be able to pour out. I mean, I should say, you will be pouring out, but it won't be God's life and love. You'll be pouring out something else. All because you saw the, the uh, obtaining this, the satisfaction for this grievance as more important than the superior joy of being an instrument of God to bless other people. 
So some of you might be wondering right now, okay, all right, I got the picture. It's bad. Bitterness, bad. Don't want it. But you might be asking, okay, that's nice. How do I prevent it? Or maybe if I have let it creep into my heart, how do I get rid of it? Andrew, I want to get rid of it. Well, the scripture here, praise the Lord, shows us an entry point for bitterness. There is an entry point for bitterness. Now, this is going to take a while, and it's going to take some brain power. So stay with me. You can do this. We can do this together. If you look back at Hebrews chapter 12, so everyone should be, you know, glancing back. Hebrews chapter 12 now. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, the first about 13 verses, it's all this, this call to persevere. It's a call to keep going, keep following God despite the obstacles, despite the difficulties, despite the trials and afflictions. It's this call to persevere. And then... So, so we know that's what's happening. And then, and then comes up this root of bitterness piece as, as an obstacle to perseverance. It's one of the things that keeps us from persevering is this, is this bitterness. And then the author uses some very strange words, starting in verse 18. If you could read with me, starting in verse 18, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. This sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Now, if if you're not familiar with the scripture, I'll just let you know, this image is the image of Mount Sinai when Moses was handed the Ten Commandments, all right? And just to make sure that the fear of the Lord was, was cemented deeply into the hearts of the Israelites, God showed up in an incredibly dramatic way, a terrifying way, a way that made all the Israelites, you know, put their, their hands over their ears and their eyes and said, oh, don't, we don't want to hear it anymore, because it was, it was so troubling, so, so terrifying. Um, and... Um, <clears throat> One word that's not in the NIV, that's in, uh, in most of the pews here, one word, but in the original Greek, this, this paragraph begins with the word for. Okay? What does that mean? Well, it's like when we use the word because. All right? So it's like I say, don't buy milk for I am lactose intolerant. All right? I could say, don't buy milk because I'm lactose intolerant. You guys are, I'm not really lactose intolerant. I can drink milk. <clears throat> but you get the point. Don't do this or do this because. All right? That's why the word for is in there. And uh, it's an important word because it connects this. Uh, in other words, what the author is saying is this mountain um, is the reason why you don't need to let the root of bitterness come in. This mountain. All right? I know everyone, there's some people are kind of zoning out here. I know this is, but stick with me. He's basically saying avoid bitterness because, after all, you haven't come to this mountain, this Mount Sinai, this mountain of judgment. You see, when Israelites, when Jews of the first century would hear about this, it was immediately, what they immediately thought of was 
the judgment, the, the almost the hopeless judgment of standing before a holy God. And there was, they were so, so wicked in his sight, there was no possibility of ever being in his favor. All right? that's, that's what would come to mind when they heard about Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. All right? So when people read Hebrews in the first century and they were familiar with Scripture, that they would immediately think about this, this sort of hopeless state of judgment, the mountain of judgment. And this is the entry point for the root of bitterness. The entry point is the mountain of judgment. Now, what I mean by that, we're almost there, what I mean by that is that I don't mean necessarily that all of us are thinking about Mount Sinai. What I mean is that many of us walk around with a sense of impending doom about our future. We walk around, and it might not be like, oh, I'm going to lose it all in a sudden disaster, but it's that sense of impending doom that the future doesn't hold good things for me. The future is going to be just more of the same misery. Okay? It goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Naomi interpreted her life as, you know, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness because... The Lord has dealt harshly. It's that interpretation that the Lord has dealt harshly with me. He will deal harshly with me. Okay? That's, that's why the author used this image of the mountain of judgment, Mount Sinai. Um, because what he's saying is, that's not what you've come to. You've not come. That is not your destiny. That's not your future if you're in Christ. Your future is not that judgment in which you're hopelessly outside of the favor of God. Because you know what? And I do this too. This is where my bitterness comes from, my struggle with bitterness, is I walk around thinking, you know, all the evidence points to, I, I must be outside of God's favor. How, how could God favor me? How could God favor someone like me? So there's this, little, this gnawing, faint sense of terror in there sometimes that dominates and clouds everything, this, this sense of gloom. And we go about suspicious that we are living without God's favor. And this is where bitterness finds its entrance. If we cannot hope to receive the favor of the Lord from his hand, then we chase after these petty grievances because it's only in the satisfaction of our petty grievances that we can hope to sort of scrape together some semblance of happiness. That's the entrance point for this bitterness. But thanks be to God, there is an entry point for the outpouring of the Lord. There is an entry point for the outpouring of the Lord. And in fact, this very same passage shows us the entry point. If you read just a few verses past that in chapter 12. But you, okay, remember verse 18 started with, you, but you have not, or for you have not. Now this verse starts with, but you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. 
You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is the destiny of those who are in Christ. That is what you've come to. You have not come to a mountain full of gloom and judgment and hopelessly being outside of the favor of God. You have come to to the mountain of rejoicing. You see, for someone familiar with um, the, the, the scriptures at this time in the first century, when they heard this, and they heard the word Zion, that a first century Jew, what would, have, what would come to their head would be, oh, that's right, Zion, that's not just where the temple is. Zion is the place of extreme rejoicing. Zion, Mount Zion, it's the place where God's rule and reign is here on earth and is continually triumphing over the enemies of God. Mount Zion is the place where God's rule and reign ensures, guarantees the continual welfare of God's people. Mount Zion is the place where God's people receive total vindication for all the evils that have ever been done to them. Total vindication. That includes that grievance that you are so hotly pursuing the satisfaction of. On Mount Zion, even that grievance, which you think the the Lord has ignored or forgotten, even that will be vindicated on Mount Zion. On Mount Zion, you will receive all the rewards promised from the beginning of time to the people of God. It's where God's perfect justice will be meted out. In short, when Scripture talks about Mount Zion, Mount Zion is... It's it's talking about the entire fulfillment of the Israelites' expectation for future joy. That is what we have been called to. That is our destiny if we are in Christ. And so the entry point, the entry point for the kind of satisfied joy by which we can pour out on other people, the entry point is the certainty of coming to Mount Zion. That is the entry point for this this outpouring and this overflow of the Lord in our hearts. And you know what? If we could embrace that, if we could fix our gaze on the Mount Zion that is in front of us, that cloud of gloom would be lifted. The entry point for bitterness would be taken away. We would see ourselves as under God's favor. Under God's favor. Now, I asked her permission last week, so I think it's okay. I hope not to embarrass her too much, but Nancy Speaker came up this morning and testified to the Lord's goodness. Now, some of you know in this room, and Nancy's too humble to tell you, the kind of suffering that Nancy has gone through in the last couple of years. And this woman has gone through unbelievable suffering, and her family has gone through unbelievable suffering. And as a mother, she has had to not only bear her own suffering, she's had to bear the suffering of her own children. And this woman, (coughs) Nancy, you don't know I do this, but I look at you so often, and when I'm feeling gloomy, when I'm being tempted with bitterness, I'm like, oh, that's right. There's people like Nancy who have 
refuse to be bitter about the suffering in their life. And they have chosen joy. And this woman exudes joy out of her very being. And it fills and it makes gives joy to other people. And I don't wanna I don't wanna imagine that her suffering is worse than yours. I know there's people in this room who have suffered even worse than Nancy, but I I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to refuse the entry point of bitterness in your life. Refuse to let bitterness have its way in your life. <clears throat> and, you know, like at the beginning, it's as simple as this, you guys. It's as simple. Repenting of bitterness is as simple as this. It's as simple as taking your eyes off of the person in the mirror with all of your problems and grievances, as real as they are, as, as, as deep as the struggles are, and it's to be blown away by the majesty of the Grand Canyon. And I, I don't mean the Grand Canyon. I mean, I mean God. It's to be blown away by the glory of meeting with Jesus in Mount Zion, of knowing that the mediator of the new covenant is there waiting to receive you on Mount Zion where the fulfillment of all your expectations of joy will be completely met. And that is when this, this becomes insignificant. And the problems that have so been, been so huge in your life become insignificant in light of the jaw-dropping glory of Mount Zion. And so I just want to encourage you right now... <clears throat> Like the scripture, the, the same way this passage concludes in, I uh, should say, uh, or yeah, verse 25. Do or see to it that you don't refuse him who's speaking. So if the Lord is putting his finger right now on bitterness in your heart, it's time to repent. It's time to, to turn away from the bitterness. It's time to embrace the Mount Zion that is before you. And if that's hard to do, you need to do what the scripture says to do at the very beginning of this passage, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, that right now, because of your bitterness, your faith is wavering and, 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 and debating back and forth, oh, can I believe, can I not believe? Fix your eyes on Jesus, who will perfect that faith, because he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And as awful and as terrible as your suffering, your real suffering may have been, may have been, no suffering will ever be as terrible as the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. But he endured it because he saw the joy set before him. And you can endure the cross. I can endure the cross. I'm probably going to kick myself for saying this publicly out loud because then someone's going to hold me accountable next week when I express my bitterness. My wife is going to hold me accountable when I express my bitterness next time. The Lord, for the joy set before us, that we can endure the crosses that the Lord brings into our lives. And so, my question to you, once again, my question to you, just like it, it was before, where have you fixed your gaze? Is your gaze on Jesus, who endured the cross for the joy set before him? Or is your and is it on Mount Zion where you will meet with Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant? 
Or is your gaze on Mount Sinai, where you can only expect, where you're hopelessly outside of the favor of God? Where is your gaze? Where have you been fixing your gaze? And now is the time to repent.